guys! This week's episode is brought to you by Handy Paint Products, a small, family-owned company in Minnesota who's all about making your paint projects easier. We've been buying their red painting cups and trays for years, so stay tuned for some pro advice from them later in the show and check out Handy Paint Products wherever you buy paint. I'm John. And I'm Sherry. We like home stuff. We like talking. And we like the occasional game show sound effect. So welcome to Young House Love Has a Podcast, where we have deep and not so deep conversations about DIY, design, and life at home. Today we finally got some good news to share about our much delayed and maybe cursed duplex renovation. We've also got tips for making online furniture shopping less scary, and I share some passionate feelings about shower curtains. As you might have seen on our blog a couple weeks ago or on Instagram, we had a little bit of a rough patch getting the duplex off the ground. We're on a break with the duplex right now. We're not on a break. (laughs) I told the contractor I was willing to sell the duplex if he wanted to buy it. He said he needed a payment plan. And then I said, fine, never mind. I will keep the duplex. (laughs) Immediately as it was more complicated than, yes, fine, I'll take it. You were out of the deal. If he just gave me all the cash, I would have taken it and ran. Well, so if you saw that the short version of it, and we'll put a link to the blog post the long version, is that listeners of the podcast know we were trying to make some changes to the exterior of the duplex. We were going to increase the roof pitch and we wanted to add a cute little dormer at the top of it. I remember us famously saying, given more time to noodle, we came up with this great plan. And so we're glad we had extra time because this great plan was born well. The great plan was killed. Yes, the universe slapped us into place. (laughs) And those changes had to be approved by the local historic review board. And they said no. Right, which was a surprise to everyone, including our contractor who's worked there for 20 years, because the roof pitch and the dormer we were pitching, <laughs> lots of pitches in there, uh, was the same as many others in town. Right. We literally walked around with the contractor and said, how about that one? How about this one? And we've heard there's sort of a crackdown. Yeah, we heard they're getting a little bit stricter. So we understand, you know, that's their job is to review these things and make sure that the town is not getting out of hand. And so we were willing to let go of the dormer. I think we said in that blog post that we're going to try to move past that because it's not really worth the fight. Yeah, John made a good point to me that helped me get rid of it, which was that if the best thing that this house has going for it is like the roof line or the dormer, we're in trouble. Right. (laughs) Which I agree with. (laughs) We've not done a good job if that's the most charming part of this renovation. So that's kind of the bad news of this is that the dormer is a no-go. We just figure it's not worth the fight. So... Uh, what we're doing to move forward is that we have actually resubmitted plans that have a slightly shallower roof pitch that's closer to the original. And instead of having to wait a full month for their monthly meeting that's going to take place at the end of February, they're actually going to review it in a special meeting, actually the week that you guys are hearing this podcast. So by the time this comes out or shortly after it comes out, we may actually have the go ahead to move forward on the roof. But not actually to move forward because you have to wait 30 days after you get approval to start. Yeah, that's the other thing that has changed recently in the town is they put like a 30-day hold on any permits before any work can begin. So we were afraid that we weren't going to be able to really start this till like the end of March or beginning of April. But here's the good news. We have started, guys. Yeah, loophole. Yeah. (laughs) They gave us a demo permit and we were able to start right away demoing. So all we're doing is clearing out the inside. We're then able to tape out the plans, walk the plans we cannot actually build or change the outside until we have approval and go through the 30-day hold. So the outside won't look much better until probably mid-March. But things are happening inside. Yeah, the demo is happening. The contractor's crew was doing that because given the age of the house and, you know, the lead and asbestos, it's not really a DIY 
my job, I would say. Yeah, we get some questions from people who are like, wait, but how do you deal with asbestos and safely deal with the lead? And what about the mold? And when we mess with 100-year-old houses, we don't mess with that stuff. So that's an easy line item to hire out. And the pros can handle it. And they know how to do it. And they know how to dispose of it. Yep. They were actually there demoing the last time we were in Cape Charles. But our contractor was like, I don't even want you guys going in. Like, once it's done, you can come in. So we were itching to see the progress. We have not seen it. But once it is all done, we can go in there, like Sherry said, and start to map out the interior floor plan and at least make some progress while we're kind of in this holding period. Yeah, it was pretty exciting to see. And then you guys know how the pink house during demo, there were all these exciting discoveries like behind a wall. John and I, when we were messing with the fireplace, actually found an old brick column that we were able to expose. We actually found stained glass windows up in the attic that were covered with plywood. So from the outside, you just saw plywood and you had to be in the unfinished attic to notice, wait a minute, behind the plywood, there's this beautiful stained glass. So we've been excited for this demo at the duplex to see what charming old features are uncovered. And guys, guess what we found? A squirrel's nest. A giant squirrel's nest within the HVAC system, like in the ducts. Again, we didn't get to go in and see it, but we saw it thrown out onto the roof of the porch from the upstairs bedroom. Yeah, I think they were worried there were actually still animals in it. So they like placed it on the roof to let them vacate. (laughs) You know what? It wouldn't be a John and Sherry purchase if there were not some animal living in it. Right. Do you guys know that when we bought the current house that we live in, our house in Richmond, that there was a possum living in it? (laughs) Well, in the crawl space. We attract animals. No, there were rumors from a neighbor actually who said that she had checked in on this house when it was vacant and the possum was in the house. Well, he did all of his pooping outside. So that's all I care. (laughs) about. Oh, I should say the other good news is that because we got a permit, even if it's just a demo permit, we could get another process started on the duplex, which was getting it evaluated for the tax credit for rehabilitated structures. We talked about this a long time ago in episode 34, where basically our town to reward people who are fixing up old houses, they will evaluate the value of the property before you rehabilitate it, before the renovation. And you mean Cape Charles by our town, not Richmond. Yeah, actually, it's the county. Yeah. And so they come in and actually lock in that value as the property's tax value for the next 10 years. So you only have to pay taxes on that lower value for the whole decade. So we were able to get that process started as well and get the assessor in to look at it before we started demo. Do you want to share the results, Sherry? You guys may remember that the pink house we got assessed at $43,700, which was amazing. I know it sounds bad to have an assessment that's low because we paid $125,000 for the house, but a low assessment is great when you're paying taxes on the yep. low assessment. I'll take so it. So she, she gives you a really nice conservative low price, and then that's locked in for 10 years, assuming you fix it up within two years. Yep. So the pink house, that went well. And we were nervous about the duplex because it's bigger and it's two houses. And I just was worried they might assess it for a high number. Yeah, and we didn't really have any comps that we could look at in the area. Yeah, there aren't very many duplexes. But remember, we paid 220 for it and it came back at 105 which is awesome. So between the two houses, I think for 10 years, we're just going to pay taxes on 150000 about, which is amazing because that's three units. It's the pink house and two rental units yeah. in the duplex. So we feel incredibly fortunate for that estimation and also for this program. I know I said it last time we talked about it, but if you're in a city and you're renovating old homes, look for these kind of programs because they're there to incentivize people to fix up old homes that need love and yeah. everybody wins. Like the town wins, you win, everybody's excited. Yeah, they're there for you to take advantage of. So take advantage of them. Yeah. And as for the duplex demo, we're going to share pictures and video as soon as we get in there. So hopefully if we're in there before this show comes out, they'll be in the show notes of this episode. If not, hopefully you guys follow us on Instagram and Facebook because we share a lot of behind the scenes stuff there, especially Insta stories has been really fun for me to share stuff. So 
Keep an eye out. Well, and in lieu of another what's new, Sharon, I thought we would do some updates. Yeah, actually, the first update is that a ton of people have asked me about the weighted blanket. What happened is out of the woodwork came all of my peeps who also can't sleep. And they were like, wait, I have nights where I can't sleep all night, too. And they come in days two or three at a time, which is exactly what mine is. And has the weighted blanket helped? To back up, the weighted blanket is the, well, I guess, weighted blanket that I got you for Christmas. That is literally a blanket that is 12 pounds. Right. I guess it was like 60. It feels no, very heavy. Just 12. <laughs> if you guys have ever laid and gotten like the x-ray blanket, it feels like that. Yeah. It's just like a pressured blanket. I love the feeling of it. So anyway, the question was, has it helped me sleep? My problem is I'm inconsistent with sleeping with it. I love it downstairs on the couch, so a lot of nights when I go up to bed, I don't bring it up in my mind. The 60-pound blanket that I have to drag upstairs, really 12, is too much. So I had a night maybe a week ago, two weeks ago, where I didn't sleep. I go to sleep, and then I wake up at like 2, and then I cannot get back to sleep until like 6 a.m., and then my day starts, and it's terrible. So I just had a bad night's sleep. And in the morning, I said to John, it's all my fault. I should have gotten the blanket. And he was very helpful and was like, okay, well, tonight, let's make sure we have the blanket in the room because this is actually a good experiment because we can see if it helps you sleep. Yeah, your first night was like the control. Right. So I brought the blanket up. And the second night, I did wake up exactly the same time I woke up the previous night, but I got back to sleep really fast, like probably within 20 minutes, which is an all-time record for me in the middle of like an insomniac night. And then the next night, I made sure to have the blanket again because I didn't want to like backslide. And that night I did wake up again, but I went right back to sleep. Like I woke up to turn over and fell back asleep. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm not quite sure it would have stopped the first night because I didn't use it on the first night, but I know it was very comforting and helped me sleep on the second and third nights. And the other funny thing that happened when I shared this is that I got other tips from people. And so one really interesting tip, I guess that's like medically backed, like doctors wrote an article and someone sent me the link that said- Oh, if it's online, then it must be medically backed. (laughs) Well, they basically, said that a study showed that drinking cherry juice in the morning, right? So this is important. Drink cherry juice every morning and it regulates melatonin, which is something that helps regulate sleep. So I have not tried that yet only because I keep forgetting when I go to the grocery store to get cherry juice. But I'm thinking about trying it, especially if it keeps happening because I feel like now that we've invested in the blanket, I want to solve this. Like we've put money towards it. You very generously put Christmas money towards it. It was our money. (laughs) It was both of our money. (laughs) I bought myself the blanket, guys. (laughs) But the other funny thing that I heard from people was was there were two other theories and I wanted to share them in case they help other people. So one theory was, could this be hormones? Like, is this premenopause? I'm 35. I thought it could be, but I shared that I've had this since my teenage years. So I think hormones fluctuate a ton when you're a teenager, when you're pregnant, when you're not pregnant. You know, I've gone through like lots of hormonal changes and the sleep- Lots of them, guys. <laughs> Just like bucket loads. Right. <laughs> and let me tell you. <laughs> pregnant Sherry is your favorite Sherry. <laughs> and then the other theory, which was very interesting and a little woo-woo, and you know I love woo-woo, was, is it related to the phases of the moon? Isn't everything related to the phases of the moon? (laughs) Well, first of all, I don't follow moons, really. I mean, I'll notice every once in a while if there's a big moon outside and we're driving, we point it out to the kids, but that's my extent of moon studying. The interesting thing is, after people pointed that out, the night I couldn't sleep was the evening of a new moon. So I don't know if that means anything. I guess I assumed it might be full moons that do it, because you know how full moons make like all the babies get born and all the weird things happen? The werewolves. Exactly. The werewolves come out. But if anyone else out there has nights like this and doesn't sleep, we should all notice collectively if it's all the new moon, and then we can start some scientific study because we're all so smart and brilliant. The unofficial Young House Love has a podcast sleep study. Exactly. 
But if you're asking if I think the weighted blanket would help you, my short answer is yes, because it helped me. It broke a pattern that has been going on my whole life. It didn't completely annihilate it because I still woke up, but then I went back to sleep a lot faster. Well, and my update, which I'll do real quick, is about that family yearbook that we ordered from Blurb. Last time we talked to you, we told you we had ordered it, but we had not received it yet. Well, we have gotten it. And it's wonderful. I will say for anyone out there who is a dedicated My Publisher user like we were and can't use it anymore, I highly recommend Blurb as a similar match to it. Now we know why everyone recommended Blurb. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like I said in the last update on it, that the size is almost exactly the same. It's a little bit smaller, so it stacks nicely on our old books. I actually like the binding on the spine a lot better than I did on the My Publisher one. So that's a nice improvement. The interior quality of the photos is identical to my eye. I can't tell the difference. I think my only complaint is that some of the photos got trimmed a little bit tighter than I could tell they would from the online interface where I designed the book. Because in the my publisher application, you know, when you're putting all the photos in and building your book, they actually kind of showed you a kind of safety area around the edge that was like a, a purple color or something to say like this area of the photo might get trimmed off when they cut the book. So you knew not to put like someone's face in that area or any text in that area. The blurb application didn't have that. And so I just didn't think not to put some things very closely. So there's a couple pages where like someone's face got a bit more shaved than I wanted it to. And like the text is a little tight on one spot. But, you know, that's a really, really minor complaint, just a lesson learned for me next time. And for anyone else who's making a book at the moment, just make sure you give a lot of space and don't put any important parts of the picture too crowded to the outside edges or even to the spine. But overall, highly recommend Blurb. I will put some photos in the show notes so you guys can see what it looks like as well. And next, we have a listener question we're going to answer. It's actually a question we get a lot, and it's about buying stuff online. Hey, John and Sherry. This is Anna. I live in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Most of the furniture that I own came from an antique store or was a hand-me-down or a consignment shop. And any new items I own came from a store where I could actually go, sit on the item, feel it, touch it, imagine it in my house kind of a thing. So... My questions are, what sort of things do you buy online? And then what sort of things do you absolutely have to see in person first? And then when you're buying online, other than item reviews, what do you look for to assure you that the quality is worth your purchase? Thanks so much. Love the podcast. I think this is a good question because I think everyone kind of lands in a different spot. You know, especially in this day and age where people buy almost everything online and get things delivered right to their door. Yeah, I think we've become a lot more comfortable, especially in the last two or three years, about buying things for our home online. Uh, but there are some things that we still are not ready to pull the trigger on. We've actually talked, I think, about both of them on the podcast in past episodes. One is a couch. There are a lot of places that sell couches online these days. A lot of people buy them. A lot of people love them. But, you know, when we were getting our couch here for our living room, the one you were sitting on now, Sherry. So comfortable. I yes. love that I could flop down in the store. I could feel the fabric. I could see how squishy it was. I could feel the depth, how much my feet would be hanging off the floor. Yeah, but I will say I am not fundamentally opposed to buying a couch online as long as the thing has good reviews and a good return policy, I think. Uh, I feel like you made a statement on this, your podcast, that you wouldn't do it. Well, again, I, I wouldn't do it yet. Are you coming around? It's something I know I could come around to in the future because I know there are things we have bought online now that I wouldn't have envisioned myself buying a few years ago. Yes. Okay, we'll go through some things we've bought this past year that have surprised us and have worked out actually really well. But first, the other thing that we are hesitant about buying online, which is kind of the same category as a couch, something you spend a lot of time on, where like the comfort and the feel is of much importance, is a mattress. That's, again, something I'm not fundamentally opposed to and I actually could see myself getting our next mattress online but you guys may remember we had a bad experience getting one before it was a Casper mattress that we got and just was not 
I don't know, it wasn't as firm as we like. We personally didn't like laying on it. I think a mattress is one of those things that's so personal that it's still helpful to sleep on the exact mattress or an, a mattress similar to it. Right, or at least lay on it in a store. You don't yeah. usually get to sleep on it in the store. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good point. I mean, if you're really dedicated, you could try. But, you know, that's one of those where the example of it is that there's not really much to lose because we got the Casper mattress. We got to sleep on it for a bunch of nights. We got to the point where we were still sore waking up weeks later and said, we're not trying to get used to a bad mattress and get less sore. Like, it's just not good for our bodies. And then we sent it back and we got all of our money back. It was the easiest return process ever. They donate the mattress, which is an amazing thing to do for someone in need. So I think... Overall, the experience wasn't terrible. It just no. wasn't the perfect mattress. Like we went through all that trouble and then we had to go back to a store, lay on a bunch of mattresses and then bought the one we liked. But I think that's actually one of the reasons why I would consider buying my next mattress online is because in some ways returning it is almost easier than it is if you buy it in a store. Because if you buy it in a store, you probably have to like pay to have it picked up again and like, right, you know. Right, restocking fee or something. Yeah. I think you're totally right, actually. I bet it's much easier online because they're trying to get over the barrier of you're afraid to buy it online. So they give you all sorts of perks you don't get in a store. Yeah, in general, they're probably a bit more forward thinking about their business model and maybe some of the old school stores are. So you might have some more flexibility with them. So that's actually, I think, a good example of why we've become more comfortable buying a lot of stuff online lately is because so many places have made it so low risk or risk-free to purchase something online. Yeah. I think another example of something that I don't think I would feel great about buying online is something made of leather because I have discovered it's just my own neurosis, but I like to see the exact how orange or how yellow the leather is and I want to feel it. Is it rough? Is it buttery? Am I worried like the dog's nails will scratch it? I think that's something where touching and feeling it really helps but now companies offer samples and so for like free or five dollars you can get a sample and that might just be the barrier to ordering something online especially if it's a really good deal and the more I think about it the more I'm like well if there was no risk like there was a really good sale on a leather chair and it was free returns then I might just go for it because I don't really have very much to lose right I think part of it is just getting comfortable trying things online and being willing to take the little risk that there is and then before you buy minimizing some of the risk the best you can and making sure that you know you're not totally throwing caution in the wind just ordering 12 things and like, I'll figure it out when they all come. There are some steps we definitely take to figure out whether something is a good purchase before we pull the trigger. And I think if you're not quite ready to pull the trigger, there's like training wheels methods that I could offer you. One example would be ordering something online that you can return to a store. So say you see something on Anthropology and you love it or Pottery Barn and you love it and you have those stores near you, but they don't have that object in store. Because even Target has a lot of objects online that are not in store. If you order those, all three of those stores allow you to just bring it to the store to return it. So that means free returns. So assuming it's not a giant thing you can't get in the car, there really isn't much of a risk because you can buy it, you can see it in your home, you can move it around, play with it, and then if you decide it's wrong, you can just bring it back to the store. So that's like the training wheels option. If the shipping it back part is the thing that makes you nervous about buying online, you know, having to package it safely or paying to send it back, that's an easy way to eliminate that. Right, and many companies now are eliminating the payment of returns. I know Wayfair, we've had really good luck buying a lot of things from them that we loved. And in the very rare case, I think one of our vanities came and the top was, no, the base was broken for the beach house. And we just called them up and they said like, describe it. And I was like, shattered. And they were like, no need to even send it back. We'll just send you out another one. So it's very easy with replacements and also with returns. We did order, it was an outdoor shower and it looked kind of like a teak color, the wood. And when it came, it was like a plasticky 
brown wood and it looked very much like plastic and not at all like teak, which it looked like in the pictures. So I called them up and very nicely said, we've ordered a lot of stuff from you and really loved it. But when this came, as soon as I cracked the box open, like I've not even unpacked it, when I saw the color, I knew it was wrong. And they said, oh yeah, free returns, leave it outside. A guy will come pick it up. You don't even have to be home. And they just made it so easy for us. So I think companies are working harder to make returns not a big deal so that you get over your like nervousness to buy. Yeah, it's almost like that Zappos model. Like I feel like that's what ushered that in, that sort of like free delivery, free returns that made it really not that scary to buy stuff online that you typically wouldn't. Like we're talking about buying shoes, like things that are so important for fit. And I buy shoes on the line all the time now. I know. It is funny because you used to go to the store and get like your foot measured and like walk up and down the aisles and like there's all this stuff that you had to do to make sure they fit and now you just order them and they're usually fine. But I do think it's still up to you to make sure you're doing your due diligence up front before you place the order and that is taking some time to look through the item descriptions online, like double checking the measurements, like scale is something that's really hard to figure out online because if they're just showing an item on a white backdrop, It could be giant, it could be tiny, and you wouldn't know unless you're actually looking at those measurements or looking at pictures of it in a room next to other things. Like Sherry ordered a mobile from Anthropology. It was so cute. It was stained glass. And I thought, this is perfect for the beach house. We have stained glass in the beach house in these colors. It arrived. It was a mobile for ants. Well, it wasn't that tiny, but it certainly was not as substantial as we had hoped. And so we brought it back to the store because we couldn't find a place for this kind of dinky mobile in the house. Yeah, we kept it for a while and we kept walking around the rooms like, what if we added more chain to it? Like trying to make it work? Then we just gave it up and decided it's not going to work and very easily brought it to the store and returned it. So there was not any shipping or annoying stuff like that. But that was something I probably could have avoided if I looked at the measurements and kind of held my hand up and realized it was smaller than like a small globe. So hanging from the ceiling, it just seemed like not big enough to fill corner like I thought it would. Yeah, if we had taken the time to look at the measurements, hold up a ruler, we would have avoided the whole order in the first place, probably. The other thing to check when you look in those descriptions are like assembly or items included. You want to make sure that you're comfortable assembling anything that needs to be assembled once it's shipped and that it has all the items you see pictured. Like it would be a big bummer to order a bathroom vanity and then have it arrive to discover it's just the base and doesn't have the top to it. And the other thing we really pay attention to on those item descriptions is the color and material. On the material side, like you probably want to check to see like, is it made of wood or is it just a wood veneer? Like that'll give you a hint as to the quality of the piece. I'm not saying a wood veneer is bad quality, but you may not want to pay as much as you would for like a whole solid wood piece. Right. Often checking the details just helps you understand what to expect. Because if you think you're getting this solid wood, amazing sideboard, but then it comes and it's kind of like particle board, like an Ikea piece, you're just frustrated because in person you would have been able to see that right away. And color, obviously, is something that's hard to judge online because everyone's screens are calibrated slightly differently. So you have to take a little bit of a leap of faith no matter what. But there are some red flags you can look for. Like if the picture of the thing is like this beautiful navy color that you think will fit perfectly in your navy decor, but then like the item description says it's teal, like that's a red flag when there's a disconnect between the descriptions. Right. I've had a rug that I would love and look at and it would, every time I looked at it, I thought it was pink and it would always describe it as orange. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I read that because orange is different than pink. (laughs) Yes. And as Anna mentioned, the other really big thing to pay attention to is reviews because that is one of the best ways to get a kind of realistic look at how this thing performs in the real world because you'll get people that tell you the good and the bad about it. 
I think our tip for reading reviews is to first take your time to do it, like consume as many as you're comfortable reading. But I would say focus your energies in that kind of middle bunch, you know, the four, three and two stars. Don't only look at the one and five stars because you're going to find the most passionate people in those buckets. The five star people are only going to tell you the things they love. It's great. And same for the one star people, like they're going to be the people who are going to say, don't buy this. Don't waste your money. Biggest disappointment. This company should be sued. Like the people are so passionate about how awful it is because they might have had some extenuating circumstance, like it arrived late, it arrived broken, they had a bad customer service experience. Like, I'm not saying there isn't value in the one stars, but I think if you read those two, three and four star reviews, you'll get a bit of balance. You'll get the good and the bad and the people who are coming at it with a bit more uh, calmness, I'll say. Right. They're more measured. Yes. I like reviews too. And I'm kind of a super sleuth about them. Like I will look at something if I find it on Wayfair and it has five reviews, I'll read those five reviews. But then I will also Google the name of the piece. So say it's like the Riverview side table. I'll put Riverview side table into Google and see what else comes up. Often it'll be on Overstock too, maybe on Amazon. And I can read those reviews too, because it's interesting. There might be only five reviews on Wayfair, but then on Overstock, they've been selling it for five years and there's 300 reviews. That gives me a lot more confidence if it's well-reviewed by 300 people than if it's well-reviewed by five people. And another tip is sometimes the names change, especially when you're doing these Overstock, Wayfair type pieces. So I sometimes look for the SKU, which is often, you know, under the description or if you go to put it in your basket, sometimes it shows you the SKU. Cut and paste the SKU into Google and see what else comes up because something called the Riverview side table by Overstock. Overstock might be called something completely different on Amazon, the Lakeview side table. And so you'll know when you see the listing pictures that are exactly the same console table, it's the same thing. And that way you can find more reviews and I guess feel more comfortable. And often I use the reviews to check the things we previously mentioned, like if a color is accurate. Yes. I love to read reviews that say this looked exactly as pictured or it's a little bit brighter than you I expected. And then if another review is like, yeah, it's much brighter than I expected, then I'm like, thank you. A few people are all saying the same thing. I've got a better picture. I'm not going to order it because it's not going to look like the picture. That also goes a different direction. Sometimes I search it and if I'm lucky enough, I will find it in a blogger's house or another person who's photographed it in the wild. And it's incredible how different things look. An example would be the wood side tables that we have in the front bedroom at the beach house. They're like a beautiful medium wood tone. They're not too orangey yellow. They're just what I describe as like a medium oak tone. But the funny thing is everybody who sees the listing says, did you whitewash them? Why do they look so subdued? They're not as bright orange as they are on the website. The issue is with the art on the website. So often I love to see something in another person's house. I actually saw those side tables in another blogger's house. That's what gave me the courage to order them. And now I love telling people like, don't look at the listing bright orange pictures. In this case, the listing photo is totally off and it looks great in person. But anyway, we thought of two things we ordered this year that we probably wouldn't have had the confidence to order before this year, but we've been like slowly getting more comfortable. And we used all the techniques we kind of just expressed, reading reviews, trying to see them in other people's homes, like if bloggers have mentioned them. Making sure they had a good return policy just in case. Exactly. And those two things are we got our glass shower door for the beach house from Wayfair. It was around $500. Every local glass maker said it was going to be around 1000 So it was a 50% off discount. I felt like it was a low risk because if it arrived broken or if it arrived and I didn't like it, something about the finish was weird or the brackets were weird or it wouldn't hang steadily, I know they have a good return policy. I felt comfortable contacting them and saying like it wasn't going to work. But it arrived and it was great. And that was one instance where taking a chance saved us 50%. It saved us $500 just to make that one choice. 
Yeah, and the other item was the fridge and the beach house. Actually, both fridges, I guess we ordered online. But I'll talk about the big higher one that is in the pantry because that's a legit size fridge. Like it was a, a decent purchase for us. And I think it's one of the first appliances that we've bought without actually getting to see it in person. Yeah, we had a lot of questions about what would fit inside. And you know, scale is so important. So if you see it open, but nothing's in it, you can't tell, well, does that shelf just hold like blueberries? Or can right. I put like a orange juice on that shelf. Right. But it wasn't in store anywhere. So we didn't have the option to go see it. We were kind of stuck. We had to buy it online. Right. And so it was funny because in the Home Depot listing, I don't think it had as many pictures, but then we found it sold by someone else for more money, but it had more photos of the interior. Maybe it was on Amazon, perhaps uh, yeah, in Lowe's. Maybe. We looked it up in a bunch of places and that's where I go back to searching the name, searching the SKU. And we found a bunch of pictures of the inside, like sort of styled out. And I think that's one of the only reasons we felt comfortable enough. It had great reviews yep. and we love it. And we'll put links to these things that we're talking about in the show notes so you guys can see them and see what the listings look like in case you want to check out some of the details that were available to us when we were shopping. Uh, I will end this reply by saying, obviously, it's up to your own comfort level. But Sherry and I have gotten more comfortable shopping for things online because it's given us the opportunity to get the right things. You know, we're not limited by just the things that are sold in our area. So it's really helped us, we think, get a better result in the end. Right. And by no means are we saying just never leave your house because, you know, we love a local store. We love thrifting. We love secondhand finds. We love Craigslist. There's so many ways to acquire items. And it sounds like you're very comfortable already getting secondhand pieces, which yeah. someone else might not be comfortable with that. So everyone has different comfort levels doing different things. And I think it's great that you have filled your home with things that have already had a long life. And I think it will be really nice if you open yourself up to these other avenues of getting things like finding deals online or getting things you can't find locally. And if any of you guys out there have a question you want us to tackle on a future episode of the podcast, you can always leave us a voicemail at 571-4-YHLHAP. And coming up next, I've got two things I'm digging. John's taking advantage. Yep. But first, we're going to take a quick break. So we discovered this week's sponsor, Handy Paint Products, years ago when we bought their little red handy paint cup and it made our paint jobs so much easier. Yeah, it was like the best $3 we ever spent yep. because it's got this nice little handle so it fits into your hand comfortably. And my favorite part is it has a little magnet on the side to keep your brush from falling into your paint. Yeah, we also bought their handy paint tray and it's really nice because it's lightweight but still really sturdy so you can move your paint tray around while you're rolling without worrying about like kicking it over or spilling it. Yeah, it's not flimsy like the other ones. Yes. And we've recently been talking with their president, Jeff Given, who also is one of their resident paint experts, and we were curious what other paint accessories we should be keeping around. Besides a good brush and a handy paint pill, I, I usually have a five-in-one painter's tool with me. What that has is basically five different functions that has a scraper, it has a hammerhead to just in case there's a nail popped out, so always nice to have. It's that thing we've been using at the beach house that like you call the scraper. That's a five-in-one? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that thing. So if you're looking to up your painting game, grab yourself a five-in-one painter's tool or a scraper or whatever you want to call it. And be sure to get some handy paint products too. Again, our personal favorites are the cup and the roller tray. They also have this larger cup that's good for a small foam roller if you're doing like a furniture painting project too. Yeah, and all their stuff is bright red. It's just a few bucks and you can find it wherever you buy paint. So a few weeks ago, I was digging large-scale decorating accessories. And this week, I'm actually digging something that's extra long. (laughs) 
So this week, I'm going to make a passionate plea for extra long shower curtains and shower curtain liners. And anyone who's followed our website for a long time knows that I've been passionate about these for like 10 years. Like, they're my favorite trick in a bathroom. Even if you have 8-foot ceilings, the average shower curtain is 72 inches. And it leaves this awkward, like, foot of space above it between the ceiling and the shower that's just, like, cavernous. I know. If you've got eight feet of height, like, putting a six-foot curtain... Oh, yeah. It's two feet. Yeah. Well, I mean, you might have some on the bottom if you're not taking it all to the floor. I don't know where you're hanging it. But either way, there's lots of empty space. It's a chunk. It's not like a small crack for heat to escape. It's like a large span of open air that's just not, like, your eye could be going higher is what I'm trying to say. So, like, we all know we should hang curtains high and wide to draw the eye up. Why are we going to hang a shower curtain two feet below the ceiling? Well, the problem is it's really hard to find extra long shower curtains, but I have found them. And sometimes I link to them and they go away. But these I bought for the beach house maybe six months ago and they're still up on Amazon. They're still sold all the time. So I'm going to put the links in the show notes. But essentially, here's what you need to know. If you have an eight-foot room, you want 84-inch shower curtains. It still makes them nice and tall, but they don't go from ceiling to floor. Like you're not a wall of steam that can't escape. There's a little breathing room up top for the steam and the light to come out of. I like a white curtain and a white shower liner anyway, so light comes through the curtain itself. And the 84-inch length is great with an 8-foot ceiling. If you have 9-foot ceilings like we have in the beach house on the first floor, you want a 96-inch curtain. Again, it doesn't go floor to ceiling. There's some space for steam to escape. It just brings the eye up so much higher. And if you go to the show notes, we'll share pictures of ours. They're just a white waffle weave. They very much look like a gorgeous, luxurious bathrobe that you get at one of those hotels. But they're shower curtains. And you just hang a regular tension rod or a rod that screws in with these extra long liners and curtains. And I'll have all the links there for you. But just consider, if you're at home staring at your bathroom, how much nicer everything would look if you added like a foot or even two feet of extra length if you have these nine-foot ceilings and you've been using a 72-inch shower liner. Just remember to wash it first before you hang it because a lot of these, especially the waffle weave cotton ones, they shrink a little bit once they've been washed. And so if you're going to be installing your shower rod, you don't want to have to move it after you wash it and it shrinks a little bit. Like you don't want high water shower curtains. Exactly. And for what I'm digging this week, I said I had two things. The first one is somewhat specific. I'm going to start with that and then we'll get to the more general one later. As you guys may have realized, Ranuary came to an end recently. <laughs> yeah, pour one out for Ranuary. <laughs> it's my month where I ran at least a mile every day just to get myself in the running mood for 2018. And I wanted to report that I was mostly successful. I think I missed five days, which doesn't sound very successful. Two were because we were at the beach house and I forgot my running stuff. Uh, One was because I was a little bit under the weather. And the other two were because Sherry and I went on a long walk instead together. So I still got out and got some exercise. Sacrifices for me. Exactly. But I discovered something in the course of doing this I wanted to share with you guys. I have always loved using the Nike Run Club app to track my runs. It used to be called Nike Plus. I have been using this thing since, I don't know, like 2003 or four. Like as soon as I had an iPod that had apps on it, I was using this to track my run. So I really like it. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's free. But I discovered something new is that they now have this thing called guided runs on it, which I was wary of at first because basically it's like a running coach talking in your ear as you go. And I just decided to play one because I was looking for something to mix up my daily runs. You know, after you've been running every day for almost a month, you need some variety. And so I decided to try this thing out. And 
at first it was really cheesy because it was this guy being like, you're the best athlete you can be. And, <laughs> you know, the only person that matters right now is you and and I'm in your ear to keep you going. Like it was kind of the stuff that's a little bit corny, in my opinion. But I found myself as the run went on actually really liking it and having sort of the pep talk in my ear as I went. So I decided to give another one a go. And the second one I did was a a speed workout, you know, where it actually coached me to try different paces as I went. And that ended up being really fun and was a nice way to mix up my running. And as someone who should be training better when he has a race coming up, it's actually probably very helpful to have some more variety than just like, let me go out and run and see how long I go. That's been kind of my training plan for the last few years is like, okay, we'll just see what happens. Now you have a dude who's like, go faster. Yes. And he says like, now you have a minute to run slower. Yeah. He'll like count you up, like starting in five, four, three, two, one. And then you'll, he'll say Blast like- Blast off, John. I believe in you. No. <laughs> Thank you. And he'll also tell you like 30 seconds left. Like it was really helpful. Actually, I've never had a running coach or anything like that. I've always been just very kind of casual and self-guided about it. So It was a nice way to mix it up. Again, it was free along with the app. You can still play music behind it if you're someone who likes music. So it's not like you have to ditch your playlist in favor of some motivational coach. Since I know not everyone who listens runs, and even if you do, that may not be a helpful recommendation, I wanted to dig something more general. And that, my friends, is chocolate hazelnut Oreos. Bam. They're basically Nutella and an Oreo. They can't call them Nutella, I guess, but it is legitimately just nice and creamy, chocolatey, hazelnutty goodness between two Oreo wafers. It's amazing. Sherry and I demolished a box in one night. One night, the box was gone. It was one of those little ones with just three little rows, but still. I hate to break to you, that is a regular size box. Oh, it is? Yeah. I'm used to going to our friend's house who shops at Costco and her boxes are like the size of a pizza. Oh, the family size. No. Yes. Thanks for listening to Young House Love Has a Podcast. And of course, thank you for telling us what you do while you listen. We obviously don't have time to shout out everyone who shares with us, but please know that if you tag us in your post, we see it and we so, so appreciate it. No matter how crazy or how normal whatever you're doing is, it makes our day. Yeah, and this week I wanted to shout out Jean on Instagram who listened on her way home from her job at the library where she had just unpacked that Love Where You Live book that John happened to be digging in that week's episode. Now, if only the same works for those Oreos. Yeah, you just want them to show up while people listen to the podcast. It's Oreo magic. They just drop out of the sky. And don't forget to check out younghouselove.com slash podcast for all the bonus links, photos, and info from this episode, like some pictures of the demo duplex. Yes, they're in the show notes. We got the photos and some extra long shower curtains that I love. They're all linked up in there. Later. Bye. Burger at a podcast, it would sound like this. And then it'd have some outro music and an ad. And then you'd hear his little pause like clip, 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 clip.